Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Grody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? It's talking about. time for Mortgage Matters. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is a brand new show. Woo. It's almost February. It's the last day of January, I guess, huh? All right, we're just getting settled in here. Like old pros, we just walk in a couple seconds before we're live on the air. It makes Jim a little nervous, but just a tad bit. You know, <laughs> don't don't make yourself sound unprepared. I mean, we're no, no. Prepared. I mean, <laughs> highlights just... galore on my on my notes here. Now Dan's got Dan's got all the notes. They're neatly laid out and everything. In an effort to maximize all usage of time, you don't want to be anywhere too early. You right, know, you need to. Spend that extra time doing what you're doing. I maximized my morning already. You so did? Wow. Now I'm ready to fit an awful lot into two hours. Did you get the maximum amount of sleep? Is that it? He, he's like the U.S. Army. You know, he does more before 8 a.m. than most people do all day long. Wow. I don't Amazing. Know, I don't know if that's true. Well, Jason's got three kids, so during the week, two, so. During the week, I take my kids to school. <laughs> yeah, but his kids are of the age where they sleep until noon. Oh, that's true. Uh, we have a rule in my house. <laughs> out of bed by nine. Oh. None of this sleep until noon thing. We have a rule in my house. It's go back to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but during the week, I take my kids to school on my way to work, and so that's... It's fun getting the the miniature circus out of the house every day. We got to be like in the car by eight o'clock. Everybody, we got to go because if the boys lag, then my daughter is late to school, and so it's not fair to her. But so it's a whole thing. But we yeah. got it going on. There you go. We don't get too many tardies. <laughs> Good for you. Uh, wow. Um, what an exciting week, huh? So much yeah. to talk about, so much going on. I was, I was kind of, uh, I was reading a funny article uh, in the, on the Tribune website this morning. I want to say it came out in the Tribune today, Dan, but uh, I can't confirm or deny that since I only use the Tribune digitally. Um, I've noticed some things only come out on the on the Tribune.com. Maybe so. That would be smart, actually, in order to increase um, readership. But it had me thinking, have you bought any underwear lately? Um, I stocked up a few months ago, several, like before Christmas. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm set for the next couple of years. So. You're good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting ready to buy some. It's Are getting, you? Yeah. Jim, have you bought any underwear lately? Uh, I can't say that I have. Would you say it's... A sign of your uh, overall feeling in the economy? Are you after yeah, it or not? Didn't need to buy any new underwear. Cool. Okay, that's good. <laughs> well, and if you're like, easy you know. on them, like I imagine, if your hobbies were like riding horses and stuff like that, where you were going to like wear them out a little bit quicker than yeah. somebody that sat still in a chair or something. Um, yeah, Warren Buffett has an underwear index. I'm actually ever reading on it this morning, but I just think it's fun how. There's these different ways we can kind of figure out what's going on within the within the economy based on things like that. The idea in this one being that people will buy less underwear when times are tough, yeah. stretch those old ones a little bit longer, you know. Um, 
We've been talking a lot um, about inflation lately. Oh, I thought we were say underwear. No, it comes up constantly, right? Yes, inflation. It what does. is it? You know, what is it good for? Why do the feds want it? What's really happening? Seems like most of the inflation readings they give us, we remove food and energy, which is pretty confusing to me. Um, but hey, here's one for you. Toilet paper. Do you feel like you're going through toilet paper faster, Dan? <laughs> Jim, I never you really, I I never really I gauged that, to be honest you don't, with you. You don't know? No. I I don't I don't know, you know, I I feel like maybe we're going through it a little bit quicker at the house and I I th- I don't know, it's cuz the kids are bigger and um using more toilet paper whatever. It turns out just like ice cream how they've been putting less into the carton. Sure. And like the soap, remember we talked about that they carve out like the back part of the soap. Now it looks like it's got this like contoured shape. That's just cuz they kept part of the soap they used to put in your box. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so now check this out. The rolls are becoming narrower. The squares are a half inch shorter. Mm-hmm. And one would think, yeah, but I'm going to know because that toilet paper roll is smaller. No, um, then they give you the double and triple rolls. They give you rolls that are so big they won't even fit. Like you can't even spin it when it's on the tube. And you got to remodel. You got to retrofit your <laughs> wall holding. No, but check this out. They're making the cardboard tube bigger. And some don't so even have the cardboard tube anymore. So that you won't recognize the diameter of your you toilet paper Toilet roll. paper on your, on your uh, thing there? <laughs> no, I'm the company IT guy, so he's showing me oh. that his, his computer's stalling out. Nice. Yeah, so anyway, this is one of the new tricks is that, can, you know, consumers are just getting less per package than what we used to get. It's like a, the sign of the, the times, I think. So that's it. If you if you've been upset with yourself because you feel like you're going through toilet paper too quick, yeah. don't worry. It's not just you. The sheets are smaller and the tube is bigger. Uh, I think it's inflation. That's this is what this is how inflation is real for me. Mm-hmm. No more uh, half gallon of ice cream. You're getting like the the third gallon. It's the same shape, but a little bit smaller. I'm afraid of where this conversation's trending. So far, yeah. we've talked about underwear, underwear and, and toilet, toilet paper. paper. Boy. That's all I got about that. I was, <laughs> we were going to move on to some more. Um, got to keep it clean here, buddy. This is radio. That, what's cleaner than toilet yeah. paper? Yeah. I can think of a lot of things cleaner yeah. than toilet paper. It's essential. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> toilet paper is something that I will go out and buy more of. <laughs> right. Even it's if just, I have, that's a recession even if I have no money. Even if there's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will steal to get toilet paper. If I will I steal have toilet no paper. Money, I'm getting toilet paper. <laughs> hey, but if people are not willing to pay more for their toilet paper in order to keep profits the same, people are. You got to give them less yeah, toilet paper. I think paper. the point Jim was making is that people are. They're willing. Yeah. I mean, that's a product that you just need. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we're paying more and we're getting less. Uh-huh. Probably. It's one of those things where you just buy it. I'll bet you I'll bet you in the end it's gonna turn out that they're all price fixing together. Charmin and and Charmin. What's the other toilet paper companies? Scotty. Northern. They make that see through that see through one. That's fun. Maybe they should make toilet paper utility. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, regulate or regulate what yeah, yeah, the government should Mm -hmm. step in Mm -hmm. and say, Hey guys, a square is four by four. And you're not allowed to make a square less than 4x4. And if your cardboard tube gets too big, 
uh, we'll take away your toilet paper license. <laughs> well, they should get a watchdog uh-huh. agency to keep an eye on these guys. Yeah. Make sure that they're not stepping in with too There should be a disclosure that comes with your toilet paper. It says it's been verified by inspector number six. It sounds like your computer is fixing itself right well, now. Well, it's not that. I mean, it turns on. There's, I can't get Poor a Dad. program to open. For the last two weeks, mm. well, beginning of this week, he finally gets working headphones. Now he has no working computer. You know what I learned recently, Dan? This is going to frustrate you because uh-huh. you're like, um, <laughs> you hate to spend money so bad and everything. <laughs> the computers that we have, were, they worked well. Yes. But now the operating systems are getting so powerful that what used to come off as a ton of RAM and power to run all of these things without these problems is no longer good enough. It's sad. The like your your computer has four gigs of RAM. Do you remember like your first computer was two hundred and fifty six megabytes of RAM? I'll take your word for it. Do you remember that? Am I, I need a nerd here. Is there a nerd around? <laughs> yeah. And then you so got nerdy over here. And then when <laughs> your then when your computer when and you did a lot of stuff on that two fifty six um, computer. Then when you got really cooking, you know you could you could bump that up to five twelve of processing speed. What scares me is they often quote that the average handheld calculator has more power than it took to send the guys to the moon. Wow. Shoosh. Didn't they lose power on that trip from the moon, though? I saw that movie. They won, but... They had some power. They should have brought more power with them. Yeah. I don't know if that's possible or whatever. incredible when you think about it. Yeah. That's freaky. Calculator or cell phone? Calculator. Shoosh. Average handheld calculator has more power than the memory of the computers that sent to take the guys to the moon. Yeah. That's pretty wild. Yeah. Awesome. I thought you'd be impressed by my toilet paper story. I thought that was a good find. I thought I thought we could roll. I thought we could roll with that one for a while. That was a waste. But um, Bob, man, sleepy crowd in these parts, huh? Well, let's talk about something way more exciting, Dan, like the beige book or the bond yield. What did you bring in to talk about? There's so much stuff to talk about. The Fed met this last week. Yeah, you have a maximum amount of articles for um, what your average week has been. Yeah. I'm I'm ready to... You know what we could do? We could take a commercial break. I can can share some of my notes with you, kind of like, you know, we did in school. To share my notes so that that you're not the only guy who doesn't have anything to say in (laughs) class. And then we can both come back and we can both talk about it. Did you just allege that I might not have things to talk about? (laughs) I know you're prepared. I fully am. All right, let's do it, though. We're going to take a a commercial break early in the show here, and then we'll have a nice run to to get into the news and and some of the exciting stuff that actually happened this week. Um, Got some great sponsors, so uh, hopefully you pay attention to who they are and show them your business when you need their services. We'll be right back with more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending. When you buy or refinance a home. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. 
Central Coast Lending. Central Coast Lending is locally owned and operated with locations in Paso, Morro Bay, San Luis Obispo, and Arroyo Grande. Central Coast Lending, the mortgage experts. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Well, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance With the stars up above in your eyes Listen to that bass work. Gotta love the Van Morrison. If you don't like that bass work right there, there's something wrong with you. That's a great song. Talked about the guys going to the moon here, really. Kind of fits. Yep. Alright, well, welcome back, you guys. Uh, I I kind of a weird first fifteen minutes. I'll I'll go ahead and throw it out there. Maybe I'm partially responsible for it. I think you're. Yeah. I'll, uh, a little bit, a little bit. I'll do better to to take the um, you know, the high road this next yeah. next right. time here. Let's talk about the big news, the the big event of the week. Oh, the Fed meeting. Oh, Fed yes. meeting, Fed announcement on Wednesday. Very exciting. Were you glued to the TV watching, or did you kind of forget about uh, it? When you say glued, I, that's not exactly the word that I would describe. Um, I did not watch it on television, Dan. I read, however, a lot about it, though. And I read that um, the comments were largely interpreted as uh, dovish. Interpreted? Yeah. Is that not a good word? I don't think that's a word. Interpreted? Yes. Whatever. It's early, dude. I haven't even had any <laughs> coffee yet. Interpreted, interpreted. I think it both work. Whatever. I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, you know, a couple of the key words they're looking for that they used in the last. It's so funny. The the traders that that react to these statements, they're focused on the 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 different words that are used in the policy statement. 
the words mean everything. Oh, and, you hang on the yeah, words. Yeah, they do. It's it's really fascinating. Study the words. And the words have like running definitions about when this kind of word is used. What does that usually mean for policy? Right? Well, I mean, similar to how I just caught you on interpreted here, they hang on every word. And if you misstep in in with with the wording it means so much so every word has to be carefully thought out carefully you have to use the correct word in all instances for what you mean because there are no opportunities to correct yourself when given these policy statements and some key words that they were looking for that were used in the previous statement were words like patience patience implies that um that we're looking at at least the second half of the year for interest rates to potentially move higher. Um, what else? They were looking for them to mention concepts of, of obviously the big ones are always jobs and housing. Um, they were looking for statements about wage growth and, and inflation. Inflation's been a hot topic. Um, so those were all things that were that were discussed and the word patience was still being used. It said based on its current assessment, the committee judges that it can be patient in beginning to normalize the stance of monetary policy. A couple of the key factors are that inflation remains under target and that they're still very disappointed by the lackluster wage growth. Yeah. You know, what's funny is I, in my notes too, I put down some words from the minutes and I guess we were, we were thinking a little bit differently about it. Um, the FOMC statement for January added some new language um, called international developments. Yes. Um, as factors that the feds will weigh when deciding whether the policy stance going forward needs to be adjusted. And what's kind of interesting about that is that um, be, with the addition of that, I was kind of getting in here and reading what trade or what it's going to mean to the market and said some read it as a dovish sign. While others thought it could actually be hawkish, the market pricing after the meeting really didn't have very clear signal, but stocks rallied and, I'm sorry, treasuries rallied and stocks sell off a little bit and the U.S. dollar rises. Those are both kind of, it, it doesn't really go one way or the other, but we know for sure that what's been going on outside of the U.S., the international economy and where all these guys are kind of trailing behind um, there's new interest in that. Like, well, I took that statement to to be pointing directly to the um, to the quantitative easing like program. The, yeah. The what do you call it? The stimulus, the bond buying, or or whatever that was announced for for the European Union this last week. I mean, so now we're looking across the pond, and there's our. All the European countries are going to engage a similar type of program that we are just getting out of, that we just got out of last year. And there's a couple of things with that. The When we raise our interest rates, it tends to strengthen our dollar. And... When Europe is doing the opposite, when they're lowering interest rates and buying, they're bonds, losing gonna, ground against the dollar. That's going to weaken our the, against the dollar. So there's going to be a problem with uh, that that strong dollar and a weaker euro is going to cause problems with U.S. exporters, and so that's a problem. 
Well, that's so a drag on get, our growth. We it, can't get too far away from. Them. We have to stay kind of in line. Yeah, if you, you have you have a consumer base that's outside of the U.S., you need them to have enough economic growth and opportunity to be able to buy what it is you have to make, uh, and likewise for them to be able to produce for you the things that you're used to importing at the value you're used to getting them for. And I mean, I suppose. It when their their currency is eroding against the dollar, it's not necessarily good for their economy. So it, we can't really push rates up right away on account of we'll swamp those boats that are trying to keep up, and we need them. So it's it's being discussed now how interdependent we are. Just to remind everybody um, and listen to these words that the Fed's put in here. Um, Strains in the global financial markets are posing significant downside risks to the U.S. economic outlook. I mean, that, that, that just tells you how critical it is that, that not just the U.S., but these other countries are, are also recovering and getting their markets back on track. So the bond yield this week, Did the 10-year, 1.67? Yeah. And it Did was, you see it, it less than that? It all happened immediately after the statement. We were we were sitting with a 10-year note yield right at 1.8, right, right around. Which, by the way, is crazy low. Really, yeah, really low at 1.8%. That's where it had, it had kind of found a, a bottom here in the recent weeks. What was the lowest you remember the 10-year when, when we started the original? I want to say 1.36. Oh, that low? Okay, I, I was thinking uh, one point five. We'll look it up to know for sure, but 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 it had found a bottom here in the recent recent month or so, three weeks to a month of of one point eight. It really hadn't broken down below. It had maybe popped down but come right back up. So it had found a resistance level there at one point eight percent. Immediately after the statement on Wednesday, it reacted. I mean, it dropped all the way to one six five, which is a big move. So, uh, you know, you would think that that eighth or so in rate would automatically pass right through to to mortgages. It hasn't yet. As with every downward move, the the rates that are offered are slower to respond than the bond market would suggest. Yep. But yeah, I mean, it was a it was a big move, and I think really that move by traders the statement some of the subtle changes in the statement they really indicate that we're at least mid-year if not later in in any substantial change in the monetary policy yeah i i'm starting to subscribe to the idea that it that it's going to be a little bit later than first thought um you know and because the, the other thing that's complicated right now that i don't know that the feds necessarily ante anticipated or or made a lot of uh, room for um, the idea that oil would fall so low so quick. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I ask you this, you guys' opinions are going to be as valid as anybody we know. When is oil going to go back to $100 a barrel? I don't know. You know, I, I read an article that was talking about the last time oil took a big dip. Um I want to say it was about 15 years ago or so. And it, the prices, they said, stayed low for the next eight or nine years. Yeah. So they were suggesting that if it followed that trend, that we could see another, you know, five to 10 years of, of less than <laughs> what's normal anymore. L lower oil prices. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that these prices are to stay and um, for a while. I also have a feeling that... Um, 
you know, and, and I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of all. I have a couple almost conspiracy theories as to why we're seeing, you know, the production hold while the value per barrel is falling. Um, but the bottom line is, is that creates some deflationary risk for goods um, here in the U.S., but in other places is rocked economies that depend so heavily on oil that can't really compete with OPEC and therefore putting further strain on the on the global market. Um, and so I, it's really one of these things where that's something that's hard to plan for. Um, lower energy prices are uh, sort of a, a blessing for some and a major curse for others. And, um, you know, the reality of it is, is that Technology, um, the ability to trade internationally, the power of um, doing online business and and importing, exporting, all that. Just it's just proof that we've shrunk the globe so much in the last um, fifty years that it just matters tremendously what's going on overseas. And and when something like this happens, like with the cost of oil, it it just it does. It's a major shake up in the whole thing and um you know and so i don't think the feds are going to be able to start pushing interest rates up anytime soon no in fact the 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 folks who host the different cnbc shows you know they they showed graphs of the bond yield just radical move right after the fed announcement and they've i just found it funny they said realtors and mortgage brokers are rejoicing right now there's yeah. stand up and hug one another rates are going to remain low for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, and and that was overall my sentiment after like going through all the notes of the statement and kind of reading different takes on it and stuff is um, really seemed like a statement again to serve both sides. Um, there's a fair amount of, um, you know, conversation in this to, to make everybody happy. Um, don't worry, it's not going to go up right away and the economy's strong. We're, we're waiting for the global economy to come along. Deflation's not a major threat, um, not as big as we might think it is. But if something changes, we can change our direction at any moment. Right. <laughs> and, you know, um, and it was talked about before, but this is one of the reasons I'm so happy that the Fed, because putting this back into context, we stopped tapering and the program was completely over at the end of 2014, um, that's a tool back in the bag now. Our, our feds have the ability now to implement something like that again and have it have impact and power and ability to affect the economy. Whereas, you know, and in, in all of that, interest rates and, and these kind of things have slipped along while we've been going through this epic hiring phase. I mean, 2014 was awesome for jobs. I'm not going to say that the the wage growth, obviously it wasn't there and they're not good enough jobs, but the, the first piece of the puzzle is creating them. So I think just going forward, um, it gives us something to look forward to, have an opportunity for the Fed to deploy that money again if they need to. Um, and by the way, with the new refinance boom that's kind of going on, uh, the Feds are making a bunch of money on that again too they've got some awesome assets in the bonds and securities that they purchased and altogether it kind of feels like we're cruising along pretty good we just need to maintain status quo while the rest of the world gets it behind them mm -hmm. right and then figure out by i don't want to simplify it but then figure out what we do with the 20 trillion dollars debt we have <laughs> it's only 20 right 
Is it? A, it's, it's like a thirty now. Are yeah, we? I don't know. It's a. It's an awful lot. But um, housing came up a lot too. Um, you know, I it it was. Now it's sort of we have the. Um, as we're well into the Q1 here of 2015, we've got a lot of uh, ability to look back and kind of figure out what happened where. Um, housing picked up momentum at the end of QE, um, not QE, quarter four in 14. Um, housing starts increased 19% quarter over quarter and um, showing a 39% pop in single family starts just seeing that metric come up of like hey check this out we're building single family homes again that wasn't really a case earlier in the year and definitely not in years prior we focused more on multifamily sort of investors looking at um, creating opportunities to exact a little bit more wealth out of the lower and middle classes whereas now we've got some building services coming and say oh, let's build homes for the people that can you know buy a stick built home that's really cool too so that's really nice to see um we're quarter four leaves household formation of 800,000 units in 2014 putting that into context against 13 um only built 524,000 houses in 13 that's a big jump in a year isn't it and imagine i mean it's not quite double but imagine if we did 1.2 million in 2015 now you're cooking with butter. That's that's getting back to the mill and a half that the the country's really used to and requires for population growth, but also houses that wear out and are kind of taken out of the system or whatever. Um, so housing's been chopping along pretty good. I saw the. Um, did you want to do housing yet? I feel like I'm just I'm yeah, taking yeah, it right I think into that's it. Great. Case and Schiller came out this week. Um, and again, I know I've been saying this for the last few months, but they're everybody kind of poo-poos on this that the headline's no good. Oh, well, the index, while they're up, they're up at a lower pace than previous months. Right. Up 4.3%. That's pretty legit. Almost, if that was the case every month, that you know, or every year, that's at the high end of normal. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Three to 5% is the range you want. Um, so that at the end of the year, everybody's made a little bit, but it's not enough to get a bunch of the, you know, hysteria and the home buying frenzy underway. It, it's keeping up with inflation, perhaps even outpacing it a little bit. Um, that's healthy. You know, two years ago, we were seeing 11%, which was freaking people out. So it's nice to see that back down. I wish that headline wasn't um, given the negative spin out there to the general public. But hey, man, you got to read past the headlines, right? That's right. Um, let's see here. The other couple of interesting things. Um, oh. Pending home sales yep. were out. Did you see that? That was kind of a surprising number, actually, that pending home sales were down. Yeah. Down 3.7%. I kind of expected I I can only I mean it it's a it's a year over year number so you'd think the seasonality would be eliminated from that. It's it's kind of surprising. So that was the number. I I don't put a lot of um I I don't think that's indicative of what the housing market's really doing. Realtors, the real the real estate industry, um they project sales of existing homes in 2015 will increase six and a half percent from from 2014 so i think this was just an aberration for pending home sales for whatever reason um new home sales you were you were talking a little bit about new home sales new home sales in 2014 
um, were about one and little less than one and a half percent improved over 2013. I think 2015 is going to see a big jump in new home sales. The bumper crop. Because now the supply is going to be here. I think we're. I mean, if you look in just just in our local paper, new homes, new home developments dominate the the listings or or the you know at least the paid advertising in there so well, yeah there's there are you know and even here locally and i realize that's what you're talking about as far as the listings go for what we can see but yep there are new homes you know i closed escrow yesterday i actually got the coolest picture i'll have to show you um oh yeah and every time you read about a new home tracked here locally Every time I hear about one, like recently I heard about one where there's 18 units that, that were in, they're not even completed yet, but 16 of them are pre-sold. Look at this picture. It's crazy. <laughs> it looks like a happy couple right there. They are holding the key to their first home, awesome. which is a, check that out, Jim. What do you think? That's some happy people, huh? Extremely happy. Yeah, people. and they <laughs> and they were so pumped up because they were their new house. Check this out. This is kind of crazy. It doesn't always go down this way. They had a new house. Um, it was built not for them, but as one of the local tracks, and it just happened to be done um, two weeks early. They weren't expecting that it would be early until mid February. Uh, builder got a little bit ahead of schedule and was able to bang it out, and we happened to be done with the loan too. So. They're able to move in early, and for a whole variety of personal reasons, they're very excited about that. Um, but yeah, the new construction stuff, those new homes are happening. We've got them in the pipeline constantly lately, and it looks like there's an awful lot of um, you know activity in that market. They're kind of, some days it feels like that's all there must be out there for sale. You see people competing over the same ones, um, but... Yeah, that's that's pretty exciting. I think this year will be the year, both uh, locally and um, statewide, and probably nationally. We'll we'll begin to see the return of those new homes and um, big numbers. I'm expecting well over a million. I think one point uh, two million. I have sold new new. I don't know about that. It's going to be that huge. Would be big. It's I mean, going to be a fifty percent increase would put us in the six to seven hundred thousand range. Look at these low rates. I. The rates aren't the problem. The rates haven't been the problem. The rates have been below 5% for f four years, five years. I mean, it's been crazy. Rates aren't keeping people from buying homes. It's supply, student loans. Oh. <laughs> supply has been keeping people from buying homes. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more, but what that's going to mean is that people are going to see that opportunity and go pull permits and start building houses, Right. I mean, when you know the the supply, um, the demand and supply problem, you're it's time to go build. Yeah, and and as we've seen with starts, as we've as we've seen just here locally with the the different developments, I mean, people are starting to get the the building going. Builders are out building. Um, you know, it's it's happening. So I think this is the year that you start to see a lot more new homes. People, a lot of people look they want the the comforts of a new home to know that they don't have to deal with maintenance they don't have to deal with old windows they don't have to deal with you know just things that are outdated people like those those conveniences of the new stuff uh yeah i'll i'll say okay um 
One of the things I think is that, you know, kind of like grandma's green refrigerator, um, I'm going to argue we don't quite I, build I, them like we used I'm to. I'm not saying everyone likes that stuff, but yeah, no, I, I know. My dad had one of the new fancy ones where um, somebody like bumped into the corner of the garage and broke away the stucco to reveal styrofoam. That's kind of a trip. And I know I talked about this on the show before, and people said, oh, it's no problem. You can build houses with styrofoam. That's a weird material to me. I'm not convinced that I want a house built of styrofoam um, or even, like, trimmed out in styrofoam and then covered in really thick, thin concrete. I saw uh, something really uh, – not to break in, but I saw something really interesting last night on the History Channel where Thomas Edison, like – tried to come up with a way of mass producing homes using concrete. No. Oh. And he would take concrete forms out, put them up and pour the concrete into the mold, have them done at a third of the cost of the time of building the house. Yeah. But the and problem is it was a form and it was a stale looking house. Yeah. But that's a cold house too. But dude, mm -hmm. it doesn't have a high conductive value, right? So you could technically, once you like are regulating the internal temperature, it probably would be um, relatively efficient. But I was just going to say, Einstein, um, the one biggest criticism of this guy of all that I've read is that um, he thought on such high level of like efficiency and production and being like utility in nature. Mm -hmm. Like the dude didn't even wear matching socks most of the time. And when asked why, he's like, who has the time to think about matching socks? This is why you don't want that guy designing houses. <laughs> and then lastly, I was going to say, um, all the people that did make fun buildings out of concrete uh, back in that vintage, now we're going back and having to put rebar in that concrete. So, mm -hmm. um, you know. Well, his idea for it was that at the time we were having so many fires that we're going from house to house. Sure. He said, let's just eliminate the fire. Make a fireproof problem, house. Fireproof house. Yeah. We'll cut down all the trees, too. Those are flammable. Get all those out of the way. <laughs> <There we are. laughs> That's kind of funny. When we talked about uh, jobs a second ago, I wrote this out and just couldn't wait to share it and then just totally spaced on it. Did you happen across Thursday's initial jobless claims? They were good. They were really it's crazy. Good. I almost stopped talking about this metric because it's been so good for so long that who cares? Best in 15 years? Yeah. What was it? April of 99? April of 2000? 2000. 2000. Yeah. The lowest level of people since 2000 came forward for initial jobless claims. Um, this is 43,000 less people than the month before. Um, it was 308. I'm sorry, I said month, but the week before. It was 308 two weeks ago. And then last week it was 265,000. And, um, you know, again, this is a number that sort of hangs in context. But when we were, uh, this recession first started, initial jobless claims were, it wasn't uncommon to see. Four, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand. There were thousand. a couple months, yeah, eight hundred plus thousand. And that's freaky, because you don't. When when was the last time? Just if you know that, blurted out. The last time we made eight hundred thousand jobs in a week. I don't think that happens. No, it, <laughs> it never has. I mean, you'd, you'd have to start a lot of wars to try to get some jobs like we're that underway. We're excited when we make 200000 in a month. In a month. <laughs> so when you're shedding them at 800000 a week, first-timers walking in to get it, that's no bueno. Yeah. Um, so to see these numbers super low like this is great news. 
Um, and it really means that we're getting into a position where um, I, we've poised ourselves for wage growth right. now, right? Yeah. I already said that 2015 is going to be the year that new home sales really rebound. 2015 is also going to be the, the year that we see some meaningful wage growth. Um, I have a buddy who who owns a, a manufacturing company in San Luis Obispo. They manufacture some car parts. Um, they are looking for for people to work in the manufacturing side of their business. Some some guys with some some skills in 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 manufacturing. They can't find people for the wage that they would for an entry level type wage in the twelve to fifteen dollars an hour. They can't find anyone who wants to apply for the job. They can't even get an application. Even just you know someone who's totally unqualified and terrible wouldn't even work out. They can't get anyone to even submit an application. So they're in a position where if they really want to fill this position, if it's really a position of need, they're going to have to put up a higher um, price per hour in order to attract someone, to, in order to attract a qualified, skilled person into that job. Um, a lot of the, I mean, they're thinking it's going to have to be a substantial increase, maybe in the mid to higher 20s per hour to get someone in there, substantially higher than what they thought or what they've been hiring people at. Yeah, and a few years ago, four or five years ago, there was people lining up to work for that lower yeah. wage. So that's great news. Um, we hey, saw something similar just looking for you know front desk help at our company. I want to do a commercial break, but as we head into the break, I just want you to realize that that had uh, nothing. Nothing that you describe has anything to do with minimum wage. Just so you know. Right. This guy's already offering over minimum wage and having trouble recruiting talent. You know, that's fascinating to me. How does that work? I thought you had to force people to to pay more or something. This dude's going to have to pay more or go out of business. We do need to take a commercial break. It is 945. We're taking some time out to thank the sponsors here. Pay some close attention. These are the people that help make the show possible. If it weren't for them, you'd be paying for it. Stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. 
Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right. Now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. Refi or refinance loan. Just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. You talked about all this really cool stuff that so that 2015 holds, and um, I just didn't didn't we Central Coast Lending have like a a banner January? Isn't this gonna isn't if this pace holds? Aren't we gonna be better this year than we were in 14? Yeah, if if the pace holds, we would probably see about a 30 percent improvement in revenues and and total units things like that that would be awesome yeah that'd be really good so maybe 2015 is just all just going to be gravy for everyone every sector all things things seem pretty good they do it does i mean when i think the biggest thing is when when people have more money in their pockets when so the the things that are affecting people's pocketbooks right now are the falling energy prices and potentially rising wages. I think those are the two big factors that well doesn't that holds. I was that's how nerdy I am. On Friday night, I was talking with my friends about that falling energy prices and um, what that might do for wages. What do you think about that? If you're a producer and it's costing you less to receive your materials because of lower energy prices, you could pass the savings on to the consumer or you could keep more profit or you could keep a little more profit, give some employees some raises and cut prices the consumer a little bit. Or, or you, you can just invest in your company and grow and hire more and... You know, and give your your people a little bit. All in all, I'd have to say that 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 sounds like pretty good news, provided that your business isn't based on getting oil out of the ground. Those people are pretty hammered by it. But I think it creates an opportunity for a lot of companies to be able to uh, reinvest and and put a little bit more money, perhaps, into their staff and you know, or whatever else that would good their quality. And so yeah. those are that really looks like good signs ahead um, for what's coming. And who knows? I mean, I, as I asked you earlier, how long could oil get? How low could it go? And how long will it stay low? Nobody has the answer to that question, really. It could be months or it could be years. In either case, um, there's good and bad. But uh, for some, for a lot of folks, it'll prove to be pretty good news. 
I saw uh, a couple of separate readings last week that consumer confidence is ripping. People are pretty excited. Yeah, consumer confidence is high. I think what was the the number doesn't mean much because that's not like units that we're familiar with. But it's a it's a relative scale, and it's the highest that it's been since August of two thousand seven, which is. Yeah, a time before the start of the recession, and that was the standard, you know, consumer confidence. So, University of Michigan puts out their own consumer sentiment index that came out earlier in January. They they registered their metric at the highest in eleven years. So, um, both of these well respected indices for consumer confidence suggest that. Um, we're at pre-recession levels of confidence in the market, which I think is kind of funny. Um, how confident were you in things? During the um, recession? Well, or 2004, <laughs> or 2005, or 2006. Confidence was waning, I think. Really? Um, well, no. real estate was overheated. Wages were overheated. You could, you were receiving like a credit card offer for a new pre-approved $20,000 visa for the fourth time this month. Everything felt so under like actually undervalued for how rapidly and crazy the pace was of, um, I, for me, I was paying attention to those signs then not feeling confident. Oh, yeah. Thinking that we were going to, in fact, I remember one of the bosses we had saying, we are like, to use the plane analogy, headed for the tarmac in a crash landing. And it's not a, you know, we have a flat tire thing. This is the gear did not come out and no one's there to save us um, getting the ducking cover that these words were being talked about in like 2003, four, five. No, no, I think I uh, no. I think your memory's failing you here. No way, dude. No, I remember talking those talks with Carrie, and and I was gone from there by two thousand six. Oh. We'll agree to disagree on that. I know that's not a confident time. That was when homes were appreciating. People had so much filthy money; they were spending it like crazy. It was I the think people, people that were weren't paying great. attention. They were all confident. That was like. 75% of America, maybe more. Yeah, but it was flawed confidence. That's my point. Hmm. In retrospect, nobody should have been confident in that. Today, we'll, you can we'll be... We'll talk more off the air about, about that. I'm going to jog your memory. Today, you can be more confident because the growth that we're making feels substantial. It feels um, that it's moderate. It's not too much. feels sustainable. It's on Nothing a good trajectory. Nothing feels out of control. In fact, yeah. it still feels below where... It, it still feels less than normal, I think. You know, even when you look at wages, wages aren't as high as they should be given the historical inflate or um, you know cost of living changes and things like that. Wait, wages are still below that. Home prices, you know, depending on the area, may have gotten back to their peak, but for the most part, I think they're still a little behind that. Mm -hmm. So nothing feels like it's out of control. And then when you look at the the pace of increases, they're they're still modest. They're still within a normal range. So I think that. Things don't feel out of control, and the confidence is something that is substantiated here. I don't think it's just irrational type of confidence. Yeah, like like the confidence we had in 2005. Oh, it's five now, not three. Three, four, and five. Mm. It was out of control, and you know it was. The, the path was unsustainable, and we knew it then. Not? No, dude. <laughs> 
All right. Agree to disagree. You just got your first real job in 2003. Yeah. You're, you're, and you were already stepping into the job market saying, this is crazy. No way. No, I'm not. I'm not saying <laughs> at that point that it was totally evident that what was going on was nuts. But we were already seeing rapid housing appreciation at unsustainable levels. It was beginning then and you could see it. And when did you buy your first house? Um, 2005. Why did you buy a house then when you knew it was out of control and coming in for a crash landing? It was against what my better judgment. Move. You knew it for two years prior that it was terribly out of control and only nose diving down. Yet you made that decision. I know. That was ridiculous. And and my worst fears were realized. Hmm. You should have trusted yourself and not done that. I'll have to admit that I think that most people get swept up in that. In, in the sensation, and this is kind of a sensation that some home buyers share sitting today, is it... It's on an upward trend. People are making wealth. Like, I mean, and this story was talked about a few times um, this last week in the office. We had a, a few couples now are reemerging with purchases they made in 2010 where their house has doubled in value. They've done nothing to contribute to that. Buy at the right time, make the minimum payment for a couple years, and suddenly this house you bought for two hundred and sixty thousand just appraised for five hundred and twenty thousand dollars. These are people that make fifty to sixty thousand dollars a year. That's game changing, crazy amount of money right there. And then, as is you know, some rational fear now, if you the way things are appreciating, if you don't buy now, you may not be able to afford to later. And if you love where you are and all the reasons why you feel like you need to buy real estate, you can you can make a decision that isn't one, um, maybe isn't a great decision. You're, you're buying because you're afraid you're going to get priced out of the market um, in a position where things are already, you know pretty highly valued and that you could one could argue that that's the same right now too so i won't so they should and then that would allow <laughs> us to have more um, existing home sales oh my gosh. don't you think sure you'd make a profit most sure, people yeah. would it's been going up things are good right now it is good um we have a guest joining us for the second hour of the show we do who? Lenny Jones. Oh, he's no stranger to the show. No, he's on a few months ago. There's He's had a, a major accolade oh. since he was last on the show. We'll talk a little bit about that when he's, when he's here. That feels like foreshadowing. Yeah. Huh. I was going to change the dial. Now I'm going to listen <laughs> just to know what it is. Did you get through enough of your papers, too? Yeah, we covered a lot of stuff here. Yeah. That was fun. Hey, remember last week we were talking about those 529 plans and how they were maybe going to like tax the the earnings on 529s? Well, of course. There's a big backlash when that announcement came out. It's no, not going to happen. They dropped it's not. that plan. They don't want to punish the people uh, that proactively that save. Save for education? No. Instead of, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Not going to go after the 529s. That's good. Yeah, it is. Guys, we got a top of the hour commercial break here. We're going to be out for a few minutes. Go uh, water the dog, refill your coffee, do whatever you got to do. When we get back, we have a whole another hour of Mortgage Matters, and we'd sure like it if you were with us. Stick around.
tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, good morning. Hello. Welcome back. Anybody just joining us? We're uh, we're live in the studio today. It's the last day of January. Looks like it's going to be another beautiful day on the Central Coast. We have Lenny Grant in the studio this morning joining us. We we wrongly uh, sort of uh, anticipated the wrong Lenny. I mixed up my Lenny's. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Not the first time. <laughs> hey, well, welcome. Thanks for coming back. My pleasure. Uh, you, we had you on the show a few months back, and we talked a lot about... Um, Housing. You're a housing guy. Yep. It's what you do. That's right. And and specifically about housing, though, about this um, this this goal of bringing more workforce housing, uh, trying to get this to the, the forefront of our local government's um, agenda here to try to address a problem. And, you know, recently um, it, it's a it seems like it's always a timely discussion, but recently just more and more conversation going back to this as. Rents are hitting all-time highs. Uh, it's crazy how much rents are going for. Um, housing around Cal Poly has been big discussion lately about trying to potentially create a rental inspection program, um, trying to step in and regulate the, because the the demand is so crazy. The supply problem is causing a lot of issues, not just for students, but any tenants. And um, we're just looking, looking at this housing thing as a, it's such a complex issue. Um, and so we have you on, um, and your focus is generally in adding uh, additional housing around the county. Yep. So tell us, uh, um, Dan, you were—I mean, you're you're hopping right into it out in the lobby there, kind of talking about what was last time we talked a lot about the uh, the airport. Yeah, I know. Last time you were on, that was one of the big issues. Really quickly, just to remind our um, our listeners about your background, you work at RRM Design, right? Right, yeah. and then um, you you do a lot outside of of your your actual income producing job you uh mm -hmm. <laughs> you are very involved in in workforce housing in san luis and that airport area is a big yeah. that's been an area that's been targeted as a as a potential development opportunity um what was it a, a month or a couple months back there was a uh success for you guys mm -hmm. at the city council approving to proceed to the next step Can you talk a little yeah. bit about that yeah um yeah that's a, that's slightly complicated so I'll try to get it into uh <laughs> A normal you deal. have two minutes go yeah so so basically <laughs> you know the city brought forth this this uh housing element and land use update which basically you know finds a whole bunch of areas around the city for housing the airport land use committee wasn't real happy with it because it put homes near airplanes landing and taking off i mean that's the gist of it noise and potential crashes or what have you but the city did their homework. They hired Johnson Aviation, who's a nation, well-respected national airport, you know, aviation expert, and he said the city did their job on noise and crash data, etc. Um, so the Airport Land Use Commission said your new housing element is not consistent with our airport land use plan as regards to safety. The city said 
we disagree with you, re and they overrode the uh, Airport Land Use Commission's determination of inconsistency. Tell Real quick, just to make sure that everyone understands this, the Airport Land Commission, Yes. who are these guys? These guys basically are charged with uh, looking at safety around the airport, bottom line. What's their region? They um, Well, they... they their region is the airport, San Luis Obispo County Airport. But their buffer, though, is like a mile around have, the airport in every yeah, direction? Or like six or seven, what they call safety zones, and it depends on exactly what type of zone. Um, one just says, hey, uh, you have to notify your buyers if you're building a housing project that there is an airport nearby and there's some noise. Is uh, this one federal agency or is it a state? It's it's actually like a county. It's a regional yeah, agency? Yeah. It, okay. And it's, it's the, the members are put there by the county supervisors and okay. other people, um, including themselves. They get to elect a couple members. So they basically, that's all they do is look at safety on the airport, safety zones, update noise contours, things like that. And that was one of the issues is that that a lot of their noise contours hadn't been studied in a long time. Of course, you've got new jets that are quieter than the old prop planes and stuff like that. So, so they need to update their stuff basically. And um, Caltrans, which we all think is basically governs cars, they actually have an aeronautical division, and they are they tend they tend to back up the local airport land use uh, commissions because they want that's their local arm and they want to support them. So when the airport land use commission wasn't happy. Caltrans wasn't happy, and you don't want Caltrans to not be happy. Right. So, so they kind of work things out. Um, you know, they're still not happy with each other. They're they're trying to work together. There's still a lot of work to do. But the good thing is that the city has uh, adopted their new housing element, and they've um, they've adopted the new air, uh, land use circulation update. So their general plan has been updated, and that's been certified and sent off to the state. So, so the city made it through. Uh, you know, the big hurdles. And that is what's opening up a whole bunch of new housing opportunities. So that was a huge for for uh, us housing guys. So what's right what's next in this process? Well, now um, there's a whole bunch of projects that, that have been waiting for that to happen, and now they're starting to move forward. So uh, there's three very large projects, and then another seven or eight you know smaller projects. But the three big ones that I think a lot of people have heard of are San Luis Ranch, which is the old Delidio property that. Coastal Community Builders is doing mm -hmm. um, Avila Ranch, which is uh, Andy Bangano, who did Marshall oh, yeah. Commons. He did a couple other projects downtown. Um, and then the third one's called Froom Ranch, which not a lot of people know about, but it's uh, John Madonna is, who's doing a, a large senior housing project out there and some retail. So then there's a whole bunch of other little projects, and um, a lot of, uh, of densities are going to rise up to their what's allowable instead of what airport restrictions are. So there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 3,000 plus or minus new available units to be built on top of that maybe two to 3,000 that are still sort of out there if people do infill projects and things like that. So sounds like there's a lot of momentum Absolutely. with housing. In fact, just a week or two ago, the yeah. council met, met at a special workshop, talked about their goals, mm -hmm. prioritizing their goals, and it looks like housing was number one mm -hmm. in the previous goal setting a couple of years back it was homelessness yeah. and that issue kind of got folded into housing believing yeah. that that finding affordable housing will help with will help alleviate the homelessness issue yeah um, amongst but, other things right and I, I think part part of you know there's a whole bunch of us that have been pushing hard on this issue but one of the i think one of the big ones uh which got us there was uh, EDC. basically we, we came out and said look 
you need housing for employees. Otherwise, your economy is going to suffer. You know, it, you, it, our new growing companies like Mind Body and Tim Williams' uh, business, and a lot of these guys have hard times attracting high talent, the great talent out there, because they don't want to come and buy. They can't afford to buy a five hundred thousand dollar home with an eighty thousand dollar salary. It just doesn't work. So the city's got to find ways, and of course, environmentally speaking, it's a big issue because the more cars you have clogging the 101, and we know there's 30, 40,000 cars, or I don't know what it is, it's a huge amount, every day coming in on LOVR, uh, you know, over the grade and, and from South County and broad, that's bad for the environment. There's more, you know, emissions and everything else that is bad for the environment. So homeless issues, social issues. So we've made, I think, a successful argument that if you don't create housing, it's bad for the environment, it's bad for the economy, and it's bad for the social structure of a community, it's bad for the middle class. And so I think it finally took root after, it seems like a decade or two of, of uh, you know, preaching you know, problems. And uh, so it's very, very promising, very good. That's great. Yeah. So you mentioned projects that are going on on some of these other projects. I was curious, just specifically around that airport. Yeah. What's next with those with that area as far as housing goes? I mean, are developers now able to start submitting projects? I mean, I don't see anything for sale over there. I mean, right. I think there's more bureaucratic stuff to get through. Before. There is. Yeah, and and that was you know there. For, let's let's take Avila Ranch for example. Now that there's some little things that happened that made that that are basically pushing them down to a little bit of redesign, but there's been some conceptual design done. Now, one of the things that, that happened was um, basically the city said, okay, any large projects, meaning probably a couple hundred feet uh, units and larger, have to be a specific plan. And so that still is going to be subject to their Port Land Use Commission. So it gave a little bit of control back to their Port Land Use Commission to review the projects. Uh, if they don't like them, they could still be overridden by the city, but at least it, it does that. So project like that, you know, which is several hundred homes and, and a little village center and things like that, that will now go back through the design process. It's got to go through a specific plan uh, and then go through the city process. So it's got that a sounds of, a that sounds difficult in and of itself. It is. They they wanted to fight it tooth and nail and now have been given some authority to evaluate the specific plan for yeah. uh, what they so did not want to have happen. Or it, it seems like it's setting the stage for a stalemate in regards to the the specific plan review, but hey, maybe they're going to be more mature about it, right? Well, yeah. If it's going yeah. to happen, and you, you have an opportunity to have a positive influence on, or or even if you just want to be a negative Nelly and just say you're going to do your best to mitigate a terrible idea of letting these people do these things, um, it seems like you might have the opportunity to be a little bit more mature and help walk it out in a yeah. in a good um, cooperative way, but. Um, mm -hmm. Otherwise, it could just be a, a total sandbox fight, right? Well, all I could tell you is, uh, you know, the developers are, are encouraged by what happened. You know, in terms of the the loose being approved and and they're and they're pushing their projects forward. So these are guys investing millions of dollars. They feel confident enough now to start pushing forward. So obviously, they feel good about it. I mean, I'm not the expert on, you know, the economics and the. I am a little bit on the risk side of things and what's going on, and I'm in the mix. So I could tell you it was a victory, uh, that's for sure. But there's still a lot of work to do yeah. to the ground. I mean, it'd be th probably, it could be four or five years until you see a unit. Out there by the airport? Well, that specific, pro I mean, I don't know. I hate to say exactly, but it's not going to be a year. Right, be less yeah, than it 10. takes time to yeah. get those things approved. So with the potential for building there near the airport, does that, for folks who 
maybe thought the future of the airport was growing the airport, getting yeah. more flights in. Does that limit that potential by putting by getting houses mm -hmm. in that undeveloped area? Um, based on what you know, even optimist airport optimists want to see. There's a couple of air, air uh, runway expansions, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, Bill Borgsmiller owns ACI, the Jet Center out there. Uh, we we included him a lot. He's now on the Airport Lands Commission. He's been uh, put on there, so that, that's a breath of fresh air. Um, but, you know, we definitely reached out to pilots because we didn't want to see any restrictions on runways and things like that. So, um, no is the answer. In terms of the foreseeable future, number of uh, planes taking off and landing, the runway extensions for commercial aviation, et cetera, um, all that's intact and is fine, basically. Good. Yeah. So in making this decision, they already anticipated future growth yeah. and, and felt that that was still accommodated yes. while also allowing some development. Now, there. obviously, there's some wow. people on the Airport Landings Commission that would disagree with that. Sure. Um, but the city's experts, uh, Johnson Aviation and others, feel like, you know, so it, it just depends on who you talk to. But most people, I would think, say that, yeah, we're taking into consideration future airport expansion. That's ABC great. Is, that's something that they've been working on hard for a long time as well is getting additional service providers you know uh, to come to the airport and they they did this huge thing where they're trying to go to all the businesses to to get pledges to try to encourage other airlines to come in and fly to other airports so you know definitely balancing those two issues of housing and airport safety and service i'm sitting here listening to you guys and all of a sudden like when you said five years all of a sudden i felt frustrated again i was like damn we were so close to having uh add a little bit of housing take some of the strain away keep the yeah. keep a little bit more balance in the supply and demand curve but five years from now um five years from now all the people that are starting college today are going to have master's degrees and they're all going to yeah. need homes and then secondly at what we just learned from Kay Schiller, 4% is a good expectation. So these homes that were $500,000 today are going to be $600,000 in right. five years. It's like the workforce housing is just like raise the bar and we get close to it and then almost grab it and the bar goes a little bit farther. When, are, when is our local, these decision makers going to catch on to the fact that we need some help and we need it now, not in well, five years? Well, you got to remember those those couple of projects – those are planning for five to ten years out. So there, there is a full pipeline. The city has yeah. There's other things. Right? More in uh, more applications made in the city in the last year than they than they've had in the history of the city. So wow. uh, there's something like Derek Johnson, I believe, told us uh, uh, that there's something like three thousand units in the pipeline right now. And so wow. So that's a lot. That's encouraging. Now, I mean, that's that's anywhere probably from right now to five years out or ten years out. But it. It's happening, and, and mostly in the city. Like, county's kind of been shut down a little bit because of water restrictions and other stuff like that. But mm -hmm. um, Red Granny's got a little bit going on. Pismo's got quite a bit going on. City of Slow is the heaviest. And Tascadero Pass has got a little bit going on. I was reading um, on uh, Facebook, I'll admit to it, about um, Santa Margarita Ranch yes. and Rob Rossi's development up there. And talk about putting in, uh, I forget the name of it. It was something, Santa Margarita. Santa Margarita Ranch, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> they were, but but everything's got a ranch. Yeah. The comments were all um, very negative uh -huh. about it being a sleepy little charm and the town of it. You know, the little two lane road going through the quaint town and how this is going to create uh, bedroom mentality out of Santa Margarita. And um, but then 
a lot of people pipe in and got pissed off about water fast. Yeah. Where will you get the water from? And, um, you know, that's that's another one of these pressing issues. That's a great question. Um, we struggle with having enough water for what we have now, mm-hmm. but you can't really um, block any future development because of water. We got to get better at using what yeah. we do have and conserving a little bit more. Um, Obviously, so- that's really complex. Uh, San Luis City's got seven sources of water. So they've got they've done a good job of building their water infrastructure uh, for a long time, but obviously Paso Basins is a much different issue. So you've got it all in between. AG Pismo are kind of on the line in terms of where their water sources are and do they have enough water and their general plans are built out, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, you can actually, you know, the, the county's got this uh, resource. Uh, I forget exactly what to call RCS, I believe resource you know, deal where they, they study traffic, water, whatever. And once you hit a level of service three, uh, you know, stop development or they heavily restrict it. In this case, they're trying to do water neutrality. So if you bring a 200 unit project in, you've got to show how through, through other methods that you're water neutral by the time those homes are built. So there's levels of restriction depending on where the resources currently are. Kind of sounds exhausting. I know. That's why they... That's why I have do you ever security. wish you do you ever wish you like <laughs> felt passionate about something else that wasn't I don't this? Know, man. It's con- there's a lot of moving parts in here. <laughs> yeah. And bureaucracy and then yeah, that's just that's a lot of stuff. Good question. I get really frustrated with um, the new construction stuff because I love all this. Uh, and for me, I, I'm a guy that anytime there's more homes in town or more buyers in town, that's good for us. We do the loans that help people buy them. But all of these new projects always got um, a preferred lender in bed with the builder that gets something that uh, prevents the the normal market, you know, shopping opportunity for, you know, companies like mine to do a loan for a new track. So I only get mildly excited about that. I'll tell you, I, what I do get excited about is that the new tracks usually have a preferred lender that ensnares all these borrowers. They, they lose their um, intelligence and just go with that person instead of shopping, especially when they're doing a half a million dollar loan. I, I'll never understand that, but um, I digress. Uh, but what does happen though is the people from town or outside of town, Tascadero, Los Osos, whatever, have that opportunity to buy, to sell their house and mm-hmm. to buy this new one in slow. So they buy the new one and we don't get to take a lot of swings at the new construction stuff, but then they sell that house right. they had and we have the opportunity then to do that loan. That's that's why I can say I get mildly excited about it. I'd be thrilled if it was illegal for them to um, to steer their clients. It, the government should get involved in um, <laughs> anti-steering issues and perhaps take away the financial incentives that prevent people from um, being savvy consumers and looking for other options. I'm going to set that committee up, Dan. Sure. Maybe like the CFPB or something. <laughs> hey, it's uh, 1024. We got it. <laughs> you guys see the little like uh, that dark streak in me of like the the pessimism in what concerns that junk. But anyway, um, we do have to do a commercial break. Take some time out for the sponsors. When we get back, we'll have another uh, more than a half an hour here with Lenny. Stick around. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. 
through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change. Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity. Look what my agent got for me. Just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks. I couldn't ask for more. But now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you could save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you refinance your home or investment property. Lower your rate, shorten your loan term, or get out of your mortgage insurance. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. Central Coast, Central Coast Lending. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. Everybody, welcome back. When my mic wasn't on or something, did I come back at the wrong words? You didn't wait for the thumbs up. Sorry. I <laughs> All of a sudden, I just felt like it was time to talk, you know? Changing the beat and the music. There we are. Yeah, I don't usually miss that kind of thing. Sorry. No, you did okay. a good job of picking something that added a good inviting intro, and then I just walked all over it. That's okay. Oh, well. <laughs> hey, in the last segment, you were concerned that some of these projects that take five years or longer to, to actually come to fruition here, that, you know, the affordable nature of those homes are going to be going to vanish because the just because of the cost of living, the, the home value increases and things. We like should that. have the government regulate that the max sales price of a house. <laughs> totally. We should have the government keep those affordable. Um, so, a lot of them. You might be pleasantly surprised to hear. Um, that for the December reading for San Luis Obispo, the median home price only rose one, 1.1% year over year. Hmm. So definitely kind of below normal, really. Or it means that the, like the, the middle transactions there were just the median price homes that sold. Uh, it could be that the really cheap homes actually went up 20% in value, and it could also mean the $2 million houses sold for slightly less. 
That that figures, eh, whatever. I actually only care about the entry-level ones, and I'll tell you some stories about what I know happened from December to December. A year ago, you could buy a home off of Ocean Air over there in that area for 440-ish thousand bucks, depending on its condition and size, and, and now they're pushing 480. You don't really see them over there for any less than that. Mm-hmm. That's real stuff, and those are entry-level homes. I mean... I'm pointing in the right direction, right? It's like right over here. That works yeah, really ish. well on radio, but yeah, it's over by <laughs> Los Losos Valley Road. Yeah, but but point being is that those are sort of entry level homes. There are a lot of uh, thousand square foot homes that are on a you know a smaller lot. And um, well, I mean, I was pointing for benefit of these guys. <laughs> over over by the fire extinguisher. Exactly. <laughs> the little TV over there. Yeah. By this TV, I've never seen working. Um, but you know what I'm you get my point though is that like if you look around San Luis and identify those neighborhoods where um a young individual or a young couple or young um investors together go to buy one of the first little SFRs you're going to be able to get in slow that's that's sort of what that that's the hotbed for that over there it's certainly not over by the high school you know it's not it's not up on the hill off of foothill it's over there and um, those have gone up in value that and to me those are the ones I care the most about is that entry level home that one where like you said that opportunity for somebody to move to town to take a job uh, to work for mind body or something there um, they need to be able to get to those entry level homes you can't have the the setting of the bar be at 700 grand and expect right. that that's going to have any healthy impact on the on the economic piece of the city mm-hmm. i mean it seems like one of the biggest components to affordable housing is the lot size yeah because absolutely. the land here is just so expensive i mean california is an expensive place to live and coastal california the price for land is insane and so when you get these six thousand i mean six thousand is like your typical lot around here maybe 7500 right. square feet that's like old school typical though it's like changing out to be like three thousand three and four thousand but that's yeah. it's that's becoming the new typical because that's what's that's what keeps homes affordable for those entry-level buyers even just the middle the move-up buyers it's funny we're going mm-hmm. full circle now that's how i was telling you earlier in the show that's why the cardboard tube got bigger and the toilet paper square got smaller <laughs> Same thing with the lot size, man. You got to figure out how to get it to the consumer for something a little, you know, a bit more affordable, but you give up on some of the quantity. I personally like the um, the smaller lot stuff for all of that entry-level home thing. I mean, you look at those homes that they're going to put in up in Santa Margarita. Those aren't going to be 3,000 no, square no. foot lots. So you no. still are, you still are going to be able to run the gamut with the different type of construction projects and who's interested in that particular layout or whatever. Um, but the dense ones, I don't want to live there, though. You well, know, do well, you? I, I just jump in on that because basically – you know, there's kind of kind of three things really that on the affordable side, or at least on the workforce side, that we've been working on. And one of them is those small lots and other ordinances to get the, to allow the builder to build small. Because you know, five ten years ago, that wasn't the case. It was if you have to build townhomes or stack flats in order to get into that price range. But we've been lobbying the cities and the county for five to ten years to allow small lots to come forward. Now that's become the flavor of the day. And it's cool, but the the one thing that gets in the way is is the fees because the fees have kind of set on a one size fits all. 
So if you're in a Red Grandy, it's maybe $35,000 all in, school, impact, whatever. If you're in slow, it's closer to 60 to 70. If you're in Paso, it's 50 to 60. So, you know, that's the same for a thousand foot house to a 3,000 foot house. And and actually it's inversely proportional. So the smaller it is, sure, the more the per more, square foot. Yeah. So the city actually in their housing element update recognize that and, and the planners uh, basically are recommending to the city to, to, you know, take a look at changing the fee structure to more of a square foot basis instead of a flat rate where it actually becomes inversely proportional. So I think that that's a very good possibility. It takes a lot of work because you have these things called AB 1600 you know, required things to show what the actual costs are. And you have to hire a consultant and that's a pain in the butt. Uh, but the city is interested in that. The county is interested in that. And it may take a year or two to get to that point. But that that is actually as important, if not more important than the lot size and ordinances. It's probably the hardest thing to do, though. Um, and then, of course, risk and CEQA abuse and NIMBYism. That has to be addressed. The city has to stand up. They got to stop counting heads in the audience and just be consistent with their own land use policies that put in place. You have to listen to people. That's America. We're in a democracy. But you have to think, hey, these guys are activists. You know, there's probably people out there that are not. You know, we got to put more advocates in with the activists to come to the balanced opinion. So those three things, I think, are The are NIMBY important. thing... Is like for me, it's like the Raiders fans too. <laughs> it's like you, you go to a Raiders game or whatever. They they beat up somebody wearing the other team's jersey. It's like, well, if you really don't want that, then you don't even have a contest here. Um, and it's to say, like, you can't not you can't not have another team come and not want anyone to root for them and stuff. And same thing yeah, here to, in town. Yeah. You can't be here and not want anyone else to come and expect that your local economy is going to stay intact. Mm -hmm. We're going to have to grow, and it's going to have to go somewhere. Um, that is very frustrating. That's one of the reasons, actually, that I kind of decided to get out of the planning track that I was in um, was when I was working for Caltrans in environmental planning and we were working on the widening of the highway down in Santa Barbara. And it, whew, those were some late night town hall yeah. meetings where, um, you know, the, the super wealthy elite would come out of the hills of Montecito to come talk about how, a con you know, widening the highway and destroying the quaint feel of Santa Barbara just to blow it out a little bit and allow more, you know, and, and it felt constantly like the, the pushback was like, well, it's never enough because you make it four lanes and then more people will move in because there isn't traffic and then those will be impacted and then you need to do eight lanes and then we're going to have 16 lanes yeah. of freeway running through downtown Santa Barbara. That's called and fear. Yeah, well, and I can argue the same thing. Well, don't even don't bother making your bed today because you're just going to mess it up tonight. And there's no <laughs> point brushing your teeth because you're just going to have to do it again tomorrow. <laughs> you know, all these like, but those that vocal minority that comes out and just makes just takes the will to live right. out of the people that are trying to do the good piece for the community and trying to figure out how to solve critical problems uh, that we face. I mean, you mentioned earlier, as you, you said um, EVC pretty quickly. Um, and I kind of wanted to circle back to that a little bit, because there's a lot of people that are listening to the show right now are getting pissed off. They're not calling in or whatever, but they're getting mad about this because they don't know. You don't know whether you're on the smart growth or no growth or whatever side of it. But um, going back to the EVC, it, 
let's talk about that for a second because that was the that's the economic vitality committee right corporation corporation Corporation, yeah i always get one of them wrong i'm not a good acronyms guy um but this isn't this is a group of people that are sitting down to figure out how to keep the economy not only together but also thriving right Mm -hmm. yeah i think it's more of a balanced group i mean you have some far right right wing groups that we we all know we don't necessarily need to name we have some far left wing groups, you know, that are we know, and and they, I think a lot of them, most of them, have really good intentions. But sure. politically, you can definitely tell whether they're left or right. And I, I think the EBC kind of prides itself where it really makes an effort to try to strike the middle and try to be balanced and sustainable, looking at you know economic growth, you know, environmentalism, and you know the social structure, and uh, trying to have you know balance. Uh, you know, you have lower income, middle class, and higher income, and you know we need we need them all basically. So I think EBC does a really good job of of saying, hey, we're we're, we're tending to go low. Let's get back in the middle. Uh, and it's politicians left and right. You know, it's a lot of business leaders. It's you know, Cal Poly has a rep. You know, Gil Stork from Cuesta is on it. Is probably thirty people on the board, and they're all you know solid types of people. Yeah, and in the end, isn't this just all a bunch of builders trying to make a bunch of money? Right. Well, I think that's an issue because builders build housing. You know, government does not build housing. And if you if you don't have a profit incentive, you know, and I'm not talking about millions. I mean, we're talking about 12, 13 percent, which is what a bank or investors require. If you don't have a profit incentive, it won't get built. And right now, that's why the middle class. I was trying to poke you a little bit, by the way, in saying that. Absolutely. I mean, I I feel passionate about that because affordable is very, very, very hard. There's not enough varies in there. But there's there's subs, you know, there's there's a you know, funds, there's tax credits, there's developers are very good at it and very wealthy. I mean, uh, you know, people self-help housing is a solid organization. They're pretty darn well healed, you know? And so they, while it's, while it's hard and they're making an effort, uh, there is progress being made. Of course, at the 500 plus range, there's a nice profit margin. It's set up very well to make profit on those. But that middle range in the threes and fours is where it's very difficult to make a profit. You can't because the fees are too high right now and land costs are high. So again, that's where we're trying to change the economics of building smaller lots, you know, fees that are more equally based on square footage, not inversely proportional and nimbyism. Again, if we can write those things and we're making some progress with it, then I think you will see homes built in San Luis that are sub 400 that are entry level or maybe hopefully even 350s to 450s and fill that gap that's just not being built right now. That's a huge problem that I think most people don't see until it's too late. You don't see it until, I mean, it's late now. You guys have a whole show based on it. But yeah, it's, been, it's, it's late now, especially in the sense that, um, you know, if you go bring up a house in slow for, in, in this, you go drop a house in slow and say, hey, we just found you a stick built home. It's 400 grand. It's hitting the market tomorrow morning. Boom, sold, yeah. Sold that's for different. what? Can you find a stick built home for less than five hundred thousand? If you slow? put one, that's my point though. If yeah. you threw one out there, you're going to quickly find an, a bidding war go on where um, people that have been so desperate to have something they can afford to buy that suits their needs come along that they trip over themselves to overpay for it, mm-hmm. and it's it's really like we got to kind of figure out how to break that cycle. And I mean, if you had the magic brush stroke, the thing you could do would be to 
put enough housing units into the market like overnight at once that you sort of found an equilibrium with supply and demand and let let it sort of normalize but that's never going to be possible no, no. so it, since we can't find that utopia the only thing we can do is keep working towards figuring out how by way you know and, and you well, I feel uh, like in all of this, it comes back to public do, policy. We do have a little bit. Of, I think I think we we're kind of figuring out a way we think we could attack that particular issue. And again, the reason why it's not happening is because developers, when they build, they're going to build what they know will sell. Right. They're, they're not doing a lot of market research here. There's one developer does a little bit, but around here, they don't do a lot of re market research. So they, they are going to mitigate the risk and do what's most logical. Now, knowing that, and knowing that we need middle-class housing, we've talked to developers, and basically this is what I think the answer is, is connecting employers to developers. And we did this 100, 100 years ago. There was a lot of you know, workforce uh, you know, projects or employer-based housing, right? So that, it, and, and let me further say that, if, if you're a developer and you know that you can get a project, you know, sticks in the air in a year versus two years, uh, and you can make, let's say, 13% profit in the year one, but you make 15% on the two-year one, what do you think they're going to do? They're actually going to take the lower profit because risk is massive. It, right. It's the number one you get in, get problem out. with developers because if the market takes a tilt downwards, they're, they can lose millions of dollars and, and depending on how big the project is. So that being said, if we can, and, and we're starting to do this, we have an employer developer conference coming up that the EVC and a few other local groups are doing. If, and I've talked to the developers. They said, if I have, a, if I know I have a market, I've got 50 guys on that will pay for that smaller home. I promise you, I will build that because I want to get in and get out. So that's huge. And we just, I mean, it took a long time to figure that out. But I, I think we're going to attack it that way, and we hope and pray that that's going to be the answer. So that'll help us get them smaller. Em, uh, employers can participate, invest in the project instead of it being outside money. Uh, and then, hey, build half of them at this small unit. Promise we're going to sell at this price. Everybody makes a little bit of profit, and we get employees in those housing. So I think that's the answer. Easier said than done, but that's sure. what we're trying to do right now. It's nice to know that you're working in the right direction on it. We have not offered anybody the opportunity to, to call and um, congratulate you on doing such a good job of working towards this end um or to call and say you're a kook and um i i personally i'd like to hear either just for the sake of interesting radio but uh five four three eight eight three zero is the number um <laughs> i'll be the first time I, I've been called no and uh, myself either so we'll do our last commercial break here the show um, this is, we owe this to the sponsors. When we get back, we'll have like another 15 minutes or so. If you guys want to call 543-8830, stick around for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. 
Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you buy your next home. We promise to close on time, on budget, with no surprises. Give Central Coast Lending a call today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543 Loan. Just call 543 Loan. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. All right, guys, welcome back. It's 1046 here. We have just a, another few minutes. Um, if you're interested in calling in to ask a question or share a comment, you can. It's 543-8830. Um, we're, we're talking during the break about just looking forward to seeing some more affordable options. Um, we... This last week, I had another deal um, in San Luis that closed through our firm, a, a condo over by Cal Poly for like three hundred and thirty grand or something. That's pretty cool, but it's like straight up in the student mix. That's going to be hard to be the dude that needs to like get up at 530 and put work boots on. You don't really want to live yeah. in that neighborhood. But then also, there's HOA fee on that place that cuts into, you know, more or less makes it $390,000 uh, affordability as the opposed to the 330. So there there just aren't a lot of opportunities around like that um, where somebody could buy something that the mortgage payment's going to be less than 2500 bucks a month, you know? Mhm. Yeah. I'm glad you're working on on solving that problem. Yeah, I think those affordable units, it would just be amazing to have that option available to families. And I think being within the city limits is is an incredible thing, too. You were talking earlier, Jason, about your dealings down in Santa Barbara, where they, you know, when you grow, it, it also means that you're having to widen freeways and things like that. I'm excited about this type of project because along with it, the slow city council is also talking about improving the bike pedestrian and mass transit opportunities too. And it's so close to the downtown area or the, 
the newer um, business center out there at Tank Farm and Broad in the airport area. I was going to say... All that stuff, I mean, it's it's within biking distance, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're all of a sudden going to see this crazy traffic on Broad Street because they're going to develop um, bike, you know, safe biking opportunities and pedestrian opportunities and improve the, the, the bus system and things like that to go along with the added housing. What about the self-driving cars? You guys see that thing that went around? No. Oh, it's crazy. I, I got to just mention it real quick, if you don't mind, but there yeah. was a... There was a, uh, this guy, of course, you know, maybe it was a little wacky, I don't know, but it, it, it made sort of sense that, you know, if self-driving cars truly come out uh, in the next five to 10 years, that, uh, you know, more Uber type uh, services are going to be available. And so less cars would be on the road um, because, you know, there's less of a need to own your own car, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's obviously a little more appropriate in the in the more heavily urbanized areas, but it could definitely filter. It'd be fun less. like Futurama, man. We'd have like a monorail that went down broad, and it's everybody's would. You'd have all these little like um, tributary tracks that just came down and plugged you into the mainframe, and you'd have like uh-huh. Wi-Fi. So you'd just be like <laughs> working on your way there. That'd be pretty fun. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, Dan, when we got here, Dan fired up his computer, and his Outlook wouldn't open. So that's what worries about me with these self-driving cars. I don't want to be passenger in one when it gets the blue screen of death and starts going 90 towards <laughs> um, some other object or something. It's that scares me. It's a whole topic for you guys. <laughs> I was just having this uh, discussion the other day. What if somebody cuts you off? What does the car do? It's, it, it honks and like a, an arm with a middle <laughs> like, finger pops up on the dash. <laughs> <laughs> and then it tailgates them for a minute and it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get out of the way. You know, it's like you have half the RAM I have and half the memory I have. And, you know, it's, it's just all mad that it's processor, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like my my mom, the computer that. made you in the factory. That'd be really weird. We could make a movie about that. That was a rough topic. We're getting off topic, I think. Uh, This week, I went over to Vaughn's in the Marigold Center. I mean, I work in downtown slow, but I went over to Vaughn's in the Marigold Center to to grab a sandwich for lunch. You guys ever do that? You ever go to Vaughn's? You got a little deli in there. You get like sandwich and a, you know, like a drink and chips for like five bucks or something. It's it's a great deal if if you're in a hurry because every other sandwich in town's like twelve bucks now. You're so, really focused today. Yeah. So the Vaughn's Deli is so much better than the Albertsons Deli that's right across the street from our office. It's a lot better. Wow. I mean, it, only because they make a little bit a little bit more style with their sandwich. I'm not oh. going to say it's like a Mr. Pickles, but it's it's Vaughn's. Vaughn's makes a sandwich that's like it feels like an eating out sandwich, whereas Albertsons assembles the ingredients right there that make it feel just like the one you would make. Um, anyway, you're going to be disappointed to hear that Vaughn's is buying Safeway, which owns Vaughn's. Whatever. I just wanted you guys to know that I was out at Vaughn's buying a sandwich this week, as I do a couple times a month, and the line at Vaughn's to buy a sandwich is turning into a problem. Um, there's so much more office space in that part of town now. Mm-hmm. And the um, support structure for that, that is little restaurants and little sandwich yeah. places and little things like this, there's a new demand there. So um, I'm saying 
it would make good sense for some other folks that are interested in finding a good livelihood to begin putting those services in over there that would allow uh, people to get a sandwich without being in a line of 20 people. Um, it, we're just There's a cool little shift that's happening where an economy is springing up out there at Tank Farm and Broad where that used to be uh, a lot of weird open space and there was like an mm -hmm. airport and a couple big buildings that nobody yeah. really knew what was happening. is now kind of becoming a thriving part of San Luis yeah. Obispo. Sesslocks right there. My yeah. body, there's a bunch of stuff. And there is actually a new yeah. retail center coming right there in the corner. So, By the way, that Sesslock building tripped me out. Have you guys seen that building? Uh-huh. Careful, we designed it. So I love it. No, I love it. It is gorgeous. Yeah, and like the design, the way that it looks and how it sits out there is unbelievable. And all I could think was, man, Seslock's doing pretty good. That's a heck of a little headquarters right there. I used to buy my Christmas trees on that lot. Yeah. Not anymore, you don't. No. <laughs> um, but point being, that whole part of town is, yeah. over the next 20 years, is going to shift so dramatically. And there's probably some real opportunity for people that want to be on the forefront of yeah. getting out there to put in a dry cleaner. Huh? There's not a dry cleaner over there. Uh, but all those fancy execs working in those big fancy buildings that we put in out there are going to be wanting dry clean clothes. Just little things like that, I think, is a, is a great opportunity to be over there. Um, my two cents. We should start a business over there. What do you guys want to do? I think sandwiches. Sounds like Vaughn's has that market cornered. <laughs> it's a long line, though. And, you know, I mean, people can only afford to wait in line so long in the middle of the workday. We're just going to have to pay a higher wage to attract those, those sandwich artists over to the new boutique sandwich shop. Albertsons. Nah, I don't know. There's boutique sandwiches. Are you, you're not alleging there's a shortage of those, though. Which Witch is like a chain, I guess, that we got now. Did you see that? Mm -mm. It's another like $10 plus sandwich and slow. There's a lot of that now. Um, it's worth it to go to Vaughn's for a half-price sandwich. <laughs> oh, yeah, phone call. Let's do that. Um you guys, we just we have a little bit more time. If you want to call in, it's 543-8830. We probably have a phone call coming in now about sandwiches. And, and I'm prepared to tell you guys where you can go to get... Um, yeah, we're kind of sandwich connoisseurs in these parts. I do like a good sandwich. Yeah, where do you get sandwiches in Morro Bay, Dan, during the week? Um, there's a, I think it's called Bottle Liquor on Main Street. They oh, the, okay. Yeah, that guy won the lottery and put in a deli, huh? They have good sandwiches there, yeah. Okay. Well, good. We got a phone call here. It's Mary from Royal Grande. Are you calling about sandwiches or houses? Oh, well, contribute a couple of things. <laughs> All um, right. And uh, for San Luis, actually, of course, the new business areas that are opening up there are between Tank Farm and the airport with all the development as you're heading out of town on the left-hand side. Um, mind body, of course, is the is the big uh, presence on the right hand side. But as you go out towards the airport, um, there's a lot of um, businesses coming up in that airport plaza, uh, airport business park that they've yep. got going. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, that's why uh, Vaughn's um, is busier. Yep. Um, I was going to ask that is is my perception true that if you offer someone the opportunity to purchase a new house versus um, an older home that they're going to prefer the new house in most instances 
I want to say no, and we could debate this a little bit. Depends I'm not on the person. I yeah, I think it depends on the person and what you're after and everything. But um, I like the charm of something older. Same here. Yeah, I I would pick an older home all day long. But that's just me. But I have plenty of clients that come in to get pre-qualified and are only interested in buying a new home. They don't want the maintenance and upgrade responsibility of homes from yesteryear. They want a home that is turnkey and dialed, ready to go, that comes with a warranty and are very uh, will not settle on uh, an existing home. So um, I, I would I would venture to say that from my chair, I think it's 50-50. Okay. Well, because I was wondering, I have often wondered, the city of San Luis Obispo, um, with their stance on people doing remodels and additions to homes, have they not actually created part of the problem in San Luis Obispo by discouraging people from doing um, renovations or actually knocking down sub-quality homes. There was, there's a lot of housing that was built in the city of San Luis Obispo, whole neighborhoods that were built post-war that were not supposed to last 60 years. Right. And so the city of San Luis Obispo, with their fee structure and their stand on, uh, on, on that, have discouraged those houses from being replaced with more modern, efficient homes. Yep. And I, I bet you're and, right and, about that um, yeah, I to some degree. Yeah, I would too, in our last uh, workforce housing meeting with MindBody there, they actually kind of touch on that topic, that it's so hard for them to find existing housing stock nonetheless. So, I, yep. yeah, it's a good comment. All right, you guys, um, we're running out of time. I wish we could continue this conversation. Maybe we need a three-hour show, Dan. What what do you usually do from 11 to noon? I'm ready. <laughs> Just kidding. I, I'm happy with two. That's plenty long. Um, as always, Lenny, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time, and I, and I mean it too. I love that you're passionate about this. I totally get that. Um, that's what makes you tick, and I just think you're doing a great job. And I, for one, am thankful for you helping um, bring the the people to the table that are going to help figure out and and do the best we can to compromise on all fronts. I really do appreciate it, um, and. Yeah, my pleasure, and thanks for doing this, you guys. It really helps get it out there. Yeah, we're just out. trying to get the word out, you know. So, yeah, thanks for taking time on your Saturday. And um, I also want to remind the rest of you guys that um, while you might not know it from today's conversation, uh, we own a mortgage company, and we're in here um, in an effort of – um, in an effort of promotion, for sure, we're trying to get the word out about our company, but we're trying to help you guys also realize that these things are complicated. The people that you work with matter. Uh, we structured our company in a way that we believe we can add the most value to you. I would not hesitate for a second to assure you that we can uh, compete no problem with Quicken or any of the banks that you're going to find access to. Uh, but the reality is, is that the structure of our company in, in representing 50 different banks, we have access to the whole array of loan products and programs, um, able to do loans for just a bigger demographic of people. Let us help you. If you're trying to buy a home or refinance a home, call us. We're 543-LOAN, 543-5626. We're on the web at Central Coast Lending. Uh, thanks for listening today. We'll be back next week with another live episode of Mortgage Matters. You guys have a great week.